service center with sales offices in major cities nationwide. Call this toll-free number now to see how to get this free information. The information includes a form for confidentiality and to record and date your idea. Plus, you I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, broadcast, cable, whatever means there is, tell them they can go to www.hotmheartofthematter.tv. They can watch streaming video from anywhere in the world. We have YouTube viewers from all over the world. We have streaming internet viewers from all over the world. We have uh, people and we just welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. I Was a Born Again Mormon is available through PDF, downloadable, go online, hotm.tv. You can click on a button and download that for free. Have it in your hand within minutes. Are you taking time to learn the Word of God? Aletheia Ministries not, offers not a non-denominational, but a never-denominational Bible study called Calvary Campus. We uh, meet at the uh, uh, universities here in the state of Utah, Salt Lake uh, City. Uh, we meet at University of Utah from 2.30 to 3.30 in Logan. We meet at Utah State University from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, join us uh, if you're interested. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like meeting times and directions. On Saturday, October 3rd, 11 a.m. We're having a first volunteer meeting for our up-and-coming new program, The Great uh, Generation. If you have the time and inclination to volunteer and help us produce this show, meaning be here on set when we shoot it live Saturday nights for teens all over the world, we need your help. Love for you to be there Saturday, October 3rd, 11 a.m. here at the station. Go to www. Uh, TV to find out information about where, when, directions, stuff like that. Hey, Southern Californians, on Thursday, October 15th, 7.30 p.m., I'm going to be speaking at the Ex-Mormon for Jesus Center in Orange, California. If you're interested in going, go to uh, HOTM.TV for more. to justify their belief in eternal marriage. And I explained a few reasons why their use of this passage is so foolish because of other things that Jesus said about marriage, but I thought I would discuss this a little further now. First of all, what was Jesus doing when he chose 12 apostles? He was setting up his earthly church by using first-hand witnesses. He used the, the men who were with him, who trained him and uh, who he trained and taught, and he used them to help take care of the church. Um, they had the responsibility to care for the newly planted seeds of Christianity that Jesus put there before he left. And by these original 12, these first-hand witnesses, the gospel miraculously took root in that little space and has spread ever since. That's one of the miracles of Christianity is that it wasn't this formal 
organization, with organizational charts and things. It was 12 men Jesus chose. They witnessed him. They were taught by him and they helped take care of the church. The decision made, the decisions that were made, excuse me, for administration in this church were left in the hands of Jesus uh, to these 12 men. He said, whatever goes on in the church, you take care of it. Now, the passage in question has some preface verses uh, and follow-up verses that give it meaning. Uh, in Christianity, we call this context. In Mormonism, they call it irrelevance. But uh, these, these scriptures are important, okay? What is the context of this singular passage in Matthew 18, 18, where Jesus says, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven? Well, go back to verse 15 of Matthew chapter 18. Here Jesus says, these are the preface verses before that. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, you have gained a brother. So here Jesus is teaching the apostles how to handle interpersonal difficulties. He says, go to the person yourself, discuss it with them, and tell him his fault. You got that? Well, then in the next verse, 16, he says, but if he will not hear you, then take with thee one or two more people that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word would be established. So now he's talking about someone who will not receive one word uh, of the one-on-one -on -one dialogue. And he says, take another one or two people with you so that they can witness everything that this person is saying back to you. Now, the Lord is moving them to understand the governess of his early church. He's teaching his 12 apostles how to govern problems within the church. Okay, verse 17. And if he neglects to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So now the Lord teaches the apostles how to handle a tough case, how to handle a guy or a, a woman who's an obstinate soul. They've done something bad. You go to them. They say, get out of here. Two or three witnesses go to them. They say, get out of here. The church goes to them. They say, get out of here. And so then Jesus says, then treat that person as a heathen, as an outcast, because you don't want to bring them in. Okay. What was the result? Jesus said, let them be like, now that let them be like the heathen. Then he tells them that their decision in this is going to be binding. This is the preface to verse 18. Then he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay? So he is, he is telling them, listen, what you do here in this case, in matters like these, that will hold weight in heaven. Because I have trained you, you have the Holy Spirit, I leave it. It has nothing to do with marriage. It has nothing to do at all with that. Then you go to verse 19. After the text that's used, it says, Again, Jesus says, I say unto you, that if two or three shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Again, relative to church decisions and governess, this is what he has allowed the apostles to do. And he finishes by stating another operational rule for them in verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Okay, so there is the context for this verse. Anybody who starts a religion can pick a verse out. And let's say that I was going to start a religion and it was called, we are going to marry men to sheep. Okay, and I could say God came to me and said, Sean, verily, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I could pull that out of context and say, therefore, men can be married to sheep. And you would say, wow, men can be married to sheep. But contextually, the Bible does not support that argument at all. In fact, listen to what Jesus said about marriage. Listen to what he said. In Luke 30, uh, 20, 34, Jesus answered, said unto them, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage. But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain the world and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. He also said in Matthew twenty-two thirty, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as of the angels of God in heaven. Meaning we transfer from this world economy and we become as angels of God here in heaven. Uh, so... Next time the LDS use this verse to support their belief in eternal marriage, start laughing 
and when they say, what's the joke, let them in on it, okay? Uh, let me go to this first. Uh, we want to take a minute and recommend two outstanding resources to anybody who is looking for them. First and foremost, utlm.org, www.utlm.org. Utah Lighthouse Ministries, the oldest, most reliable uh, standard for LDS history and doctrine. UTLM will illustrate point blank uh, using primary source materials how Mormon leaders have presently and over the years turned, changed, lied, hidden, contrived what they call the only true church on the face of the earth. Confirm your suspicions. Go to www.utlm.org. Another resource we highly recommend, or I highly recommend, is a book by Bill McKeever. It's titled In Their Own Words. And what it is, is Bill McKeever took and he gathered all these quotes under different topics, and he doesn't make any comments on the quotes. He just gathers them of what has been said in Mormonism. You want to understand what's been said about black people? Go and look under black people or whatever it is, and you're going to see all the quotes that have been said. You want to understand polygamy? You just go and you just read. No, he says nothing. He lets the, the church leaders of the past speak for themselves. So something to check out. All right. Over the years, people have shared a sort of syllogism with us, and it goes something like this. If Mormons are Christian, then Christians must be Mormon. And they often want me to use this uh, syllogism on the show. The problem with it is, is it doesn't completely hold water when you're trying to reach people, and I'll tell you why. Because they could use the same logic and say, if Baptists are Christian, then all Christians must be Baptists. And that's just not true. Um, of course, they will answer, uh, you know, well, forget that part. There is a place for this syllogism, though. And the answer is in the core doctrines, okay? Uh, what makes a person Christian? Perhaps one of the best ways to define general Christianity would, to be, would be to say that all Christians share in the essential core doctrines of the church, okay? So what are the essentials? Here's a few. Believing that Jesus is the I am, God incarnate. Believing that he was conceived of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. Believing that he and he alone is the author and finisher of our faith. Believing that the Bible is inerrant. Believing that he was resurrected from the dead on the third day. Believing that when a person believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that he is the Christ, they shall be saved. These essentials are shared by Christians regardless of denomination worldwide. Altering, adding, rejecting these essentials is akin to deconstructing a bicycle, taking away its seat, its handlebars, its frame, its chain, its pedals, taking a wheel, pulling out a spoke, and holding the spoke up and saying, this is Christianity, or this is a bike, okay? The spoke is not the bike. It's a part of the bike. It needs the whole bike. So it is with Christianity. Without Jesus being God, without, who has no beginning and no end uncreated, without the virgin birth, without salvation by grace and grace alone, without a Bible that's inerrant, without the resurrection, only a fool would accept a stripped-down version and call it Christianity. But the LDS go even a step further. They not only strip away everything down to a single spoke and say, we have Christianity, we are Christian, they attach their own stuff to it. Now, imagine for a second that a little kid comes in and says to his mom and dad, I want a bicycle for my birthday. Well, what the LDS do in the parallel is they take the spoke and then they say, okay, we have the bike, and then they put a beehive in it on it, stick the spoke in the beehive, put a picture of Joseph Smith on the spoke, uh, wrap it in a white shirt, and then on the kid's birthday, they'll say, here's your bike. I mean, I hope you understand what I'm saying. They have completely altered and changed. They've taken a small port of Christianity and they've altered and changed the whole thing and they're still calling it Christianity. Mormonism, not Christian. With that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we need you and love you and praise you. We uh, are grateful for the airtime, uh, for what you do. We pray for those people who are searching in our audience, uh, wherever, live or at their home, wherever in the world. 
So be with us now as we talk about Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, the fiction Joseph Smith created. In Jesus' name, amen. We left off last week uh, reading through Joseph Smith's revelation on plural marriage, otherwise known as Doctrine and Covenants 132. If you want to get the most out of this series on Doctrine and Covenants 132, watch the past three programs. Tonight we're going to pick it up at verse 40 of this section. Joseph Smith just finished having God talk about the polygamous practices of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. Instead of telling it as it was, in this revelation, that Sarah gave Abraham her handmaiden Hagar to uh, have a child with because she couldn't bear a child. And uh, instead of waiting on God to fulfill the promise that he made Abraham and Sarah, um, Joseph has God say this. And why did she, meaning Sarah, do it? Because this was the law. And from Hagar sprang many people. This, therefore, was fulfilling, among other things, the promises. Then in verse 40, God reminds Joseph that he is appointed to restore everything back to the earth. So what we see is Joseph's been talking about uh, the prophets who practice polygamy. Then the next verse talks about Joseph needing to restore all things back to the earth. Being that polygamy is not only justified, but claimed by God to be his law in the lives of Abraham and David, to name a few, Joseph is building a case now in this revelation to reestablish polygamy as an eternal law that needs to be followed here on earth. Notice that there's no commentary in this revelation, Doctrine and Covenants 132, that says, Herein, Joseph, I say, thus saith the Lord, there are far too many women uh, here in my kingdom, and therefore men shouldeth, taketh, manyeth, womeneth, with himeth, uh, into marriageeth. You know, he doesn't say that. Why? These are all the arguments the LDS use as to why polygamy was done. Joseph doesn't go down any of the arguments that they use today. Well, there was a lot of women who didn't have husbands. Well, it was hard for women to make it in this world. Well, this and that. None of those are used. What does Joseph Smith use to say polygamy needs to be? Because it's an eternal law and principle. All right. Gordon P. Hinckley got on Larry King and tried to pass it off as, well, there was just a couple, very few men ever practiced it. And that's not true. Many men practice it and all men were supposed to practice it because it's an eternal law. All right. Uh, so Joseph says, in order to reach the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, you got to keep it. In verses 41 through 44, Joseph has God delineate what adultery is and what it is not. In these descriptions, God tells Joseph that if a man commits adultery and his wife has not, then Joseph has the power to take that wife and give her to another man who has been faithful because he shall rule over many. All right, in light of this power Joseph claims to have been given, he goes on and has God speak to him, mixing and mingling a Bible verse in with Joseph's new added on uh, version. Listen to verse 46. He says, And verily, verily, I say unto you, that whatsoever you seal on earth, and whatsoever you bind on earth in my name and my word, saith the Lord, it shall be eternally bound in the heavens. And whatsoever sins you, Joseph, remit on earth shall be remitted eternally in the heavens. And whatsoever sins you retain on earth shall be retained in the heavens. What God is doing in this revelation as Joseph prepares Emma, his wife, to receive polygamy as a true order is he's saying, God the Father has spoken to Joseph and said, you can, you can keep people's sins here or you can have them carry with them into heaven. You can take a, a man's wife and you can give her to another man. You have this power and it played out in church history thereafter. This statement which Joseph took from Jesus, Joseph now applied uh, to meaning he had the ability to seal anything here on earth. Slowly, he's inching toward the coup de grace in which he wants Emma to hear, okay? He's building a masterful, but it's a convoluted and twisted case for polygamy. Just listen to verse 48 as he slips a key phrase into this whole revelation. Ready? He says, and again, the Lord says, Verily I say unto you, my servant Joseph, that whatsoever you give on earth, now listen to this line, and to whomsoever you give anyone on earth. Okay, so he just had God give him the power as the prophet to give people 
away to other people. And these brethren did this with each other and women in the community all the time. They would say, you know, it was almost like they were, they were bargaining chips, you know. And uh, you think this guy just may be talking or this is rhetoric or whatever. It played out in the male church where the male leaders would actually take people, women primarily, and have them sealed to themselves. Women who were in their teens, women, uh, young girls who were orphans, women who were happily married to other men. Joseph uh, tried to stop marriages and become the, uh, the one to take the girl before the marriage could be consummated. He was very much into virgins, uh, women who were sisters. He had sealed to him women who were mothers and daughters. Okay, the revelation opened the door for Joseph, Brigham, and others to take and, take and exchange girls and women like baseball cards. Uh, all in God's name. Now, I want to explain something here. I understand the sin of adultery. I understand lust messing up. I understand all men and women making mistakes. If this was a Christian leader who fell, who taught Christian doctrine, you would not hear me going after him in this way. Uh, I'm not condemning anyone in their failures for the flesh. I am not in a place to condemn anybody. Uh, he has to answer to God like I have to answer to God. But the problem and the heresy and the abomination of Joseph Smith is he used God's name to justify his actions. This is what we go after. And it's in the LDS scriptures called Doctrine and Covenants 132, still today, where he has God actually speak these things. This is why we're pointing out to people, they are embracing a man who did not hesitate using God's name to justify everything and anything he wanted, all right? In order to really put an exclamation point on this whole revelation so far and to remind Emma of exactly who he was, Joseph then had the audacity to have God say in the next verse, verse 49, listen to this one, quote, for I am the Lord thy God and will be with thee, Joseph, even until the end of the world. And through all eternity, for verily I seal upon you your exaltation and prepare a throne for you in the kingdom of my father and with Abraham, your father. He ties him to Abraham. Joseph has himself tied to Abraham by God because it's still leading a case to get to polygamy. And in the next verse, he has God forgive him for all of his sins. Because if, if God forgives him of his sins, Emma needs to forgive him of his sins, which were secretly taking wives behind her back to which she was extremely mad. So the stage is set. He's talked about eternal laws. He has made it clear that whoever reads this revelation must obey it. He lays out a case for ma marriage as either being of this earth or it could be eternal as, and that it is a gateway to becoming a God. This is all in the revelation. Then he presents Abraham and other participants in, uh, who use polygamy as uh, doing what God wanted them to do. Then he states he has the personal power to seal and bind people and to give them away to whoever he wants. Finally, before he goes into polygamy, he reminds everyone, but especially Emma, that he has been promised by God that he's already exalted, sitting next to Abraham, and that he has been forgiven of all his sins. This takes us to the next verse 52, where Joseph has God speak to Emma herself in the revelation. Quote, and let my handmaiden Emma Smith receive all those, talking about his wives that he's secretly taken, that have been given unto my servant Joseph, and who are virtuous and pure before me, meaning more wives to come. And then he has God say something really weird here. He has God say, and those who are not pure and have said they are pure shall be destroyed, saith the Lord. So it's like he's saying, if I take on one of you wives and you're supposed to be a virgin and you're not, you will be destroyed. So, you know, he uses the threat a lot. I mean, the, the lengths this guy went to to fulfill his fantasies is amazing. Joseph goes on to have God speak to him about supporting him. And then in verse 54, he has God threaten Emma saying, but if she will not obey this commandment, she shall be destroyed. Uh, throughout much of his life, Joseph uh, pronounces a lot of these warnings, telling people that if they didn't do this or didn't do that, they would be, de be destroyed. By the way, just to let you know, Emma trashed this 
revelation. She threw it in the fire. She never bought into it. She didn't agree with it. She fought it till her last days and she was never destroyed. It was actually Joseph who was destroyed far before she was. So, <laughs> applause. applause kills me. All right, in verse 56, God reminds Emma again that she is to forgive Jesus, uh, Joseph, excuse me, Lord, his trespasses, probably referring to the secret wives. And in verse 57, he has God tell her that he is with Joseph just as he is with Abraham. In verse 59, Joseph has God return to the topic of men doing things in his name by his power. And he goes on to talk about being justified by this. And it's interesting that God has here he, he sort of starts justifying that you cannot call this a sin, this thing polygamy, if it's done the right way. Joseph actually is explaining why it's not a sin through God's mouth if you take on extra wives. And this takes us to verse 61 and 62, and we're going to show this on the screen, okay? It says, if any, this is the coup de grace scripture. It says, if any man espouse a virgin and desire to espouse another, and the first gives her consent. And if he espouses the second and they are virgins and have vowed to no other man, then he is justified. He cannot commit adultery for they are given him. For he cannot commit adultery with that which belongeth unto him and no one else. And if he have 10 virgins, wow, he's really getting excited now, given unto him by this law, he cannot commit adultery, for they belong to him and are given unto him. Therefore, he is justified. Is, this, is, this is in the Doctrine and Covenants section 132. You guys believe this stuff? Are you insane? Are you insane? Women, I mean, come on. Read this stuff. It is pure fabrication, and he does it in God's name. Read the Bible, what Jesus was about. This is the biggest farce on earth. And he's pulling it over his wives' eyes. He pulls it over all the women's eyes, and the men take advantage of it. It is just diabolical. This doctrine is still part of LDS scripture. It is believed. It is still practiced spiritually in their temples, in the church today. And LDS men sit there secretly and they wait for it to be returned, reintroduced and practiced, if not here, certainly in heaven, for it is an eternal law. And you check your facts, eternal laws in Mormonism cannot ever be done away with. That's why they don't remove section 132 from the Bible. Now, I wanna bring this up one more time and we're gonna end, bring that scripture up again. First, it says, if any man espouse a virgin, you know, and we could say, well, he's talking about women. You know, the way it says virgin in the Old Testament means a young girl. That's not what he's saying here because contextually he's talking about uh, women who are what he calls pure and chaste and desires to espouse another. So it's about the man's desire. You have one, you, you desire another. It's okay as long as the first one, it says, gives her consent. Now I've got news for you. Emma did not give her consent. Only once she gave in after he had acquired a whole bunch. And then on that day, she turned around and freaked out and said, I'm not doing this. I made a mistake. But she never gave her consent. So even according to this revelation, Joseph Smith had committed adultery with 33 women, all different women in his life. And it says, and if he espouses a second and they are virgins and have vowed to no other man, then he is justified. By the way, he married women who were not virgins. He married women who were married to other men. So th th this thing about the virgins where he sometimes says they have to be pure, he, he contradicts himself in his own life on what he did. Uh, uh, he cannot commit adultery for they are given him for he cannot commit adultery. And listen to this, with that, that belongeth unto him and no one else. He refers to women as that. With that, that belongeth to him. He doesn't say with these daughters of God that belongeth to him. With that, I mean, it, and then he goes on, and if he has 10 virgins, you know, why not? Given unto him by this law, remember that, he cannot commit adultery. We're done with it. Section 132 ends with Joseph warning all women whose husbands have read it and received the revelation that if they reject it, they will be destroyed, becoming a transgressor. I would suggest just the opposite was true. Uh, we said on some of our earliest shows have nothing to do with section 132. 
We even had a bumper sticker done up at a time like that. Our recommendation is the same. They will not remove Section 132 from Doctrine and Covenants because if they do, it's a house of cards. And they pull out one of Joseph's revelations and said, no, nah, it's no good. It all starts crumbling down and the people start saying, yeah, that wasn't right. What about this other one about becoming gods? Or what about this other one about the Bible not being trustworthy? And it falls in. So they keep it and they wait for this eternal law to come back. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers appreciated. LDS call callers always desired. While we wait for the operators to go through and clear the calls, uh, we have a message to run about our partners program. Here it is. Hi, I'm Sean McCraney with Aletheia Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries' long-term sustainability without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us, 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. We've had a number of you come forward and become our partners, and we're very grateful. It's, uh, it's a specifically designed program, and it's not easy for some people. And so uh, it means a lot to us and to our viability as a ministry. Uh, we also appreciate other people who step forward who can't become partners and do whatever they can to, to help us through their prayers or financially or volunteering, whatever it is. We are grateful for everybody and everything, and uh, we praise God for you. We're going to go first to Sue and Layton, then to Joe to Plateville, Wisconsin, then to Ryan and Provo. Sue, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, can't... Um, uh, well, what I wanted to know is, uh, in the Bible, it said that God sent His only begotten Son. Yes. But my question is, is God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all the same? And if so, why does the Bible say, this is my only begotten Son? Okay. It's a really good question. And let me try to explain it uh, the best I can. Okay. God is three in one. Just like man, who was created in His image, are three in one. I'm body, I'm soul, and I am spirit, okay? okay? God is three in one. He is the Father, He's the Son, and He's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said God is a spirit. We know the Holy Spirit is a spirit, and we know that Jesus, prior to coming to this earth, was a spirit. So all spirit in a pre-existent state before this world was, before you and I existed at all, okay? Okay. Then God... The world fell into sin and God said, I'm going to come down. And so he had a son. They called him God's son because he was the only physical, fleshly manifestation of God to ever come. And so he was God the son and he was in flesh. And while he was in flesh, he was the only begotten of the father. And he walked about and he, what he did was he took on life like we have. And he became us, and he felt when the hammer hit his hand, and he felt the pains of life, and he overcame all temptation, and he fulfilled the law on our behalf because we couldn't. And he went to the cross, and he prayed to the Father because he had subjected himself from his pre-existent state as spirit to come down to lower himself and to put flesh on so that he could save us in our sin. And then he died for us and he returned to heaven with his body. Why? Because he's going to return in that body and he's going to show the world who he was. This is what God did as he created this world. He loved, he, God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son to come down and to do this for us. And that's the best explanation I have of how he is called the son in the flesh relative to the father. 
Oh, how wonderful, huh? Does that help? It does. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks for your call. God bless you. You too. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Joe in Platteville, Wisconsin. Joe, you're on Heart of the Matter. Howdy. Howdy. How you doing? You're on the uh, air. Excellent. First thing I have to say, it's Platteville. What did I say, Plateville? Yes. Sorry, Joe. Platteville, Wisconsin. Um, I thought I would call in and share my story so that those that are out there wondering if it's worth it. How long is it, Joe? There's other people out there. How long's your um, story? I will keep it as short as I can. Well, that doesn't have Give me minutes. Give me seconds. Less than 10 minutes. Probably more than five. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. It's not a time for story. We try to hit doctrine. We hit topics. Uh, if you write a really good story and email it to us, we'll read it, uh, parts of it at least, on the air. But I know your story is very important to you, and others are very important to them, and they're important to hear. But this is just not the, the, the platform, my friend. Fair enough. Okay. Any questions or comments? Keep up the good work. All right, Joe. God bless you. You too. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Ryan and Provo, first-time caller. Ryan, you're on Heart of the Matter. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? Excellent. Hey, I uh, love your show. Thanks. My wife and I watch every week. Um, I have recently left the LDS Church, born wow. and raised 35 years. Wow. Uh, I used to teach early morning seminary back in California. Wow. Whole nine yards. Here's my, here's my thing. You've been talking a lot about polygamy lately and about how that is an eternal principle. Always has been, always will be. Yeah. Um, then I did some reading in the Journal of Discourses about the Adam-God doctrine hmm. and about how Brigham Young taught that Adam was God and um, the fact that Adam, when he came as a, you know, from God, only brought one of his wives. wives. It says yeah. in there, he brought one of his wives. I was just thinking to myself, if polygamy was an eternal principle, always has been, always will be, why would God go against his own doctrine, his own eternal principle, and only bring one of those wives? Oh, good question. You know, I mean, it would, he had a commandment to multiply and replenish the earth. Why not? You know, it's a, it's a whole lot easier with more than one. Yeah. Hey, that's an but, excellent insight, man. Yeah, I just never thought about it until just recently I was watching your show the last couple of weeks and just put the two and two together. And I thought, well, why would God go against his own principles if he was Adam and only bring one of his wives with? Hey, great question, LDS. Do you hear that? That's from a seminary teacher, early morning Southern California, California seminary teacher. He's done there, he's been there, and he's left. And he's asking right. you a very good question. In terms of logic, that would make sense that it would be, the Garden of Eden be filled with women to populate the earth. Great one, well, Ryan. Thanks so much, my brother. You bet. God bless. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Claudia in Payson, former plural wife. Claudia, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. How are you? Fine. Is this Shane? Sean? This is. Hi, Sean. Um, I saw you at the tent revival, and I told you about being in plural marriage. I remember that. Well, you said call in sometime if I felt like it, and so since you were talking on the subject tonight, I thought I'd call in. Well, tell us, tell us, uh, give us a nutshell uh, response, because you're out of plural marriage now, you know the Lord now, you've come to the truth, what was right. it like when you were in it, and what do you think it's based on, and give us your thoughts. Well, I think it's based on uh, uh, the Doctrine and Covenants section 132, okay. as far as how I felt like I, when I was in it, I thought it was a total nightmare. Our, oh. cho our children were poor, and we had to shop always at secondhand shops, you know, for their clothes, and and it, it, we couldn't do anything like piano lessons or anything extra like that. Huh. And you know, it was just a total nightmare. The women were jealous, and you know, it, it's it's heartbreak for everybody. Hey. I'm sorry. I'm smiling, Claudia, and I'm not. I'm not. I know there's women out there. Doris Hansen probably kicked me in the shins for smiling. But tell me, are you really jealous in that setting? I mean, yes, <laughs> absolutely. That was pretty direct. <laughs> you know, the the women who who defend it act like we're all sisters and we share the love of this great. I don't believe it. You don't believe you've been in it. 
Wow. I don't believe it. I think they've been brainwashed. Wow. Big time. Now, after you came out of uh, that practice, now, what happened to the other wife or wives? She divorced them before, uh, you know. There was just one other wife, and oh. she divorced him. Uh huh. How long did the marriages last? Um, I'm still married to him. He's a Christian now. Uh -huh. And uh, she died a few years back of cancer. Mm -hmm. So that was tragic. Yeah. And, uh, you know. Uh, one good thing is all our kids are wonderful children. We we have wonderful children. Oh, praise God. Thank God none of our followed in our footsteps. Hey, one final question, Claudia. Uh, in your circle of friends or in your circle of influence, neighborhood, community, are there a lot of people still practicing it secretly? No. No? Not that I know of. Okay. No. Claudia, thank you so much. It's great to hear you came out and your husband's a Christian now and great call. Thank you. Thanks for calling. You're welcome. Bye. Okay, bye. We're going to go to Brad in Ogden. He's a first-time LDS caller. Brad, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Doing well, Brad. How are you? Oh, I'm just wonderful. Hey, my question is, I've uh, been a member of the church just for eight years. Uh-huh. And I just got sent to the bishop, or the priesthood, and I just kind of... I wanted to get some information from you, what your thoughts, and what I could read into it on it. Yeah. You know, uh, Brad, um, the priesthood in the Mormon church is um, kind of like ranks in Boy Scouts. Uh, you can be a Weeblo, or you can be a... I was never in Cub Scouts, so I can't, they kicked me out. Um, uh, you can be an eagle or a star, and you have different levels. And the priesthood, it operates the same way. But biblically, it is absolutely taken out of context. It is not true. Their application of priesthoods, both with the young men and the older men, is false. And the worst thing that they do is Hebrews points out clearly, Brad, that there is one high priest, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus now is in heaven and he goes before the Father and he one time he offered his blood for us and that was it. It's done. And he is the high priest. And these guys have reestablished this pecking order and this hierarchy in their church and they call themselves high priest with a lot of chutzpah and pride. He's an elder? Well, I'm a high priest. And, you know, we had a caller once call and say, I'm a high priest. And I said, you're not a high priest. There is one high priest. Brad, read the book of Hebrews. Get a Bible commentary if you can, or just read the book of Hebrews and pray to God. Please open my eyes about this. It's not the easiest book to understand, but you can read it and understand at least that Jesus is our high priest. And if Jesus is the only high priest, everything the LDS is doing with priesthood is a lie. Well, thank you. I appreciate your information. Hey, Brad, I'd love to uh, send you our book. Will you stay on the line? Yeah. Okay, hold on for a second. Will someone okay. please pick up whatever line Brad was on? I'm terrible at that. We're going to JR in Vancouver. JR, you're on Vancouver, British Columbia? Uh, Washington. Vancouver, Washington. Great to have you, JR. Thank you. Um, I have a quick question, and please feel free to answer it off the air. Okay. Um, I have had several conversations with missionaries and other people of the LES Church, and I have obtained audio evidence of a seminar class of people getting ready to go out on a mission, and I was curious on if you uh, experienced the same thing, and that is they are taught to literally beat around the bush. Huh. They are told not to answer the question that was asked, but to answer the question that should have been, been asked. asked, and if that's true. Yeah, that's uh, Bob Millett, that video clip you have, and that's him at BYU, and he does say that with the most arrogance you can ever imagine. He tells those kids, you know more about the Jesus Christ or the gospel of Jesus Christ than all the Christian community put together. And he does say that. Now, when I went through, I wasn't taught that. Uh, I was taught to uh, not get into the deep doctrines. If someone brings right. to me polygamy, don't talk. Let's talk about the simple doctrines. 
because they want the missionaries to hook the people with the bait, get them active and involved and loved, and then they'll start giving them the deeper stuff. But So it was taught when I went through, but Millet brought that, and that's that secret video that someone took of him. It's interesting that Millet is used, he actually goes around to Christian churches, and he sits there and he talks to Christian churches like we're friends. And he tells right. that he acts like he's a friend and that Mormons and Christians are really united. And you know what that guy did? Somebody in that community came to know the Lord and was backing away from Christianity. And he went to their house and he taught them right back out of it and to come right back into Mormonism. He is no friend to Christianity. He is not a friend to the cross at all. He's duplicitous, he's arrogant, and he's a liar. And I stand by that. Right. So there, there it is, my I, I, friend. I agree. I, I agree completely. I was just curious because, you know, it seems to be even in, where you're in a chat room or in a conversation with somebody and you run into somebody, they literally avoid the question. Yeah. And, and so I was just curious if that was something that you were taught. So. Yeah, taught to avoid the deep ones. They don't know the gospel. It's a really good question, JR, because what you're experiencing is, is normative. The only ones who won't avoid the questions, and even it's bad, are the guys online who spend their time spinning and getting everybody in a whirlwind, and they avoid them too in the end. So great right. call, my friend. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Really quickly, a quick quote. Brigham Young, like Joseph Smith, was emphatic about the need for people to practice polygamy. In 1873, he gave this stern warning, and listen to what he compares women and wives to in this. He said, now... Where a man in this church says, I don't want but one wife, I will live my religion with one. He will perhaps be saved in the celestial kingdom, perhaps. But when he gets there, he will not find himself in possession of any wife at all. He has had a talent that he has hid up. He will come forward and say, here is that, that again, which thou has given me, I have not wasted it. And here is that one talent, that one wife. And he will not enjoy it, but it will be taken and given to those who have improved the talents they received. And he will find himself without a wife, and he will remain single forever and ever. He likens the gathering of wives and the use of wives as talents of money. That uh, taking, again, borrowing and twisting the parable of Jesus. Listen, that's from the Deseret News, September 17th, 1873, by way of utlm.org. Um, let's go to Bob in Ogden. Bob you're, Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay, I'm here. All right. Got, uh, got a question for you. I heard their statement once that uh, says those who believe they're Christians but really aren't. Uh, actually become the Antichrist? Just a question. What do the Mormons or any person who follows an organized religion who feels they're Christian but not, are they truly the Antichrist? I don't... Did I say that? No, 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 you didn't oh. say that. That's my question to you. Yeah, I, I... You know, I guess, you know, if you were extrapolating it out on paper and you looked at it, Jesus said, if they're not for us, they're against us. Yeah. So you could say that they are if they, but I mean, that's really taking it to an extreme. I think people can be misled. They believe that they know or understand Jesus, but they don't. And I'm not sure that it's really uh, pragmatic or necessary to label anyone who doesn't know Jesus completely, uh, ontologically or epistemologically, that they are antichrists. I just think, you know, uh, but in the end, in the end, when the sheep and the goats are separated, yes, that would be so. But uh, along the way, people come to see him as, uh, for who he is. So I'd be careful about uh, quoting whoever said that. Okay, thank you. All right, take care. Take care, you too. Bye-bye. We're going to Linnea in West Valley City. Linnea, you're on Heart of the Matter. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. Good to be with you. Good to have you, Linnea. Thank you. Um, my question for you is about the Trinity. Um, I understand a lot of people get confused about that, and so I'm a little, I understand what it is, but I, my question is, is, when in the Bible do you know when the Holy Spirit is actually first mentioned? Is it ever mentioned in the Old Testament? Because there is something in the book of John 
on chapter 20, verse 21, after Jesus has appeared to his disciples, after he has risen, yeah. where he blows into their faces yeah. and says, Receive yeah. the Holy Spirit. So is that actually when the Holy Spirit is mentioned for the first time? Or is there another part in the Bible? I'm just, I was in, just curious about that. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did work but it did not abide inside exactly. any right. man. It yes. worked upon them, okay? Right. Right. And just for the audience sake, you may know this, Lene, but it didn't abide inside any man because no man was worthy to have the Holy Spirit live in him continually. The only way the Holy Spirit can move in permanently is when the blood of Jesus has cleansed the person and okay. made the... Okay, so... And, you know, it's really, that's a great question because it's so intriguing how Jesus does that and that the Holy Spirit does come. But officially in the church, the Holy Spirit came at the day of Pentecost when it fell down upon those who believed. And that was, that's really recognized at the official time. But Jesus does do that. I believe that's to show that God cannot be put in a box. Jesus was in control and he could do that prior to the Holy Spirit falling on men permanently. But in, 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 as far as I know, Lene, and I could be missing something, that, that passage in John was a little bit out of chronological order, and then the Holy Spirit came. Before that, the Holy Spirit just rested upon people. Right. Perfect. All right. Thank you. You cleared up a lot. Bless All right. You. Thanks for calling. Mm-hmm. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. We're going to Jeremy. It says Lost Mormonville. This will be interesting. Jeremy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, how are you? I'm fine, and you? Not bad. You're on the air. All right. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I thank God for your show. I've been looking for a show like this for a long time. Thanks, Jeremy. I've been watching for a while. Um, I, had to, I, too, have a heavy heart for helping the LDS. Um, and I just wanted, earlier you were... Uh, recommending books? Yeah. Um, I wanted to recommend one uh, okay. called Under the Banner of Heaven by John Crocker. Crackhour, yeah. Yeah. A good book. What's that? That's a very good book. Yes, it is. It's very informative, very factual. Yeah. So. While we're thinking of it, uh, Insider's View of Mormon Origins is an excellent book written by an LDS man, Grant Palmer. He's a friend of mine. Excellent book. Every Latter-day Saint should read that before they say they believe much of what they profess to believe. Um, Crack Hour's books are good. That book that I mentioned by Bill McKeever, From Their Own Mouth, I think it was, or In Their Own Words, excellent book. Sandra Tanner provides many great books and resources for people. So many out there. There's really no reason why anybody who's in Mormonism can't know the facts about their religion. But they do the, you know, and uh, no facts known. Great call, though, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Got an email from Ken saying something to the effect, I hope you are the real deal. Then he went on as a Christian brother to counsel me to beware of falling. And he taught, and his email went on to kind of suggest that this weight and burden of responsibility for uh, keeping people believing is on me. And I just want to uh, say a couple things about that. First and foremost, never look on me, obviously. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a mistake. I have a man with feet of clay. You could, you could cut me off in the car and not know it's me and think that I'm something because you watch the show, and I'd probably get out and kick your fender. So don't look to me as, as something that is, I am a sinner saved by grace, and it is only him that allows me. I try to love I try to do my best, but I will fail in many different ways. This is the difference, too, between Mormonism and Christianity. Mormonism is very big at looking at men and holding them up as stalwart and faithful and these things. Christians, good Christians, will say, look, don't look to me. Look to him. He is always going to be the source that uh, you will find inspiration and power and strength through. And uh, as you've seen it in the past, many people, television, ministries, churches, they, they can get into trouble. I'm not saying I'm going to, but uh, don't look to me. Just know that I believe Jesus Christ. 
I know he saved me from my sin. I know he saved me in my sin, that it was not anything that I did. And I know that because of that, he changed my life. And he gave me the ability then to not only overcome my sin propensities, but he also gave me new life. And he helped me love people more and better and not kick the fender the first time you cut me off. So uh, there we go. All right, let's go to Mary in Salt Lake City, first time caller. Mary, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, uh, my question is, uh, do the LDS believe that uh, Jesus was a polygamist? You know, it's a great question. Probably have, uh, I think, memory serves, maybe uh, seven to ten quotes from Brigham Young, John Taylor, a couple others, absolutely stating that Jesus was a polygamist. Mary and Martha are often mentioned back in that time that they were his wives. And uh, uh, it's interesting, in the, trans in the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, where Jesus comes out of the tomb, and the, John says, touch me not. Joseph Smith translated that to hold me not. And uh, they, they believed at that time that he was involved in polygamy. That has since died the teaching. But the question I have in mentioning that is, what, did all, what about all those people back then who believed Joseph and Brigham were telling them the truth and went to their grave believing that Jesus had polygamous wives? So we have the quotes. We've read them before. Maybe next week I can pull some up from utlm.org and mention them on the show. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Mary. Bye-bye. God bless. In Logan, there is an article in the newspaper from the Mormon History Focus of Student... It says, Mormon History Focus of Student Essay Contest. A student essay from the J. Arrington... Leonard J. Arrington Writing Awards was announced. And uh, what the, what's going to happen is they're going to have a lecture, and they invite all the students to come and listen to the lecture, take notes, and then to write an essay paper. And then there's going to be a first and second and third place uh, winner for this at the University uh, uh, of Utah, I mean, Utah State. And the lecture, presented October 1st, features speaker Karen Flake, who presents, quote, the emotional and priestly logic of plural marriage. So what they're doing is she's going to get up and speak about the emotional and priestly logic of plural marriage in this day and age. And the LDS, uh, this, this community, is inviting students to come and take notes and then provide a paper. And you can win $1,000, $500, or 250 for first, second, and third place depending on how well your paper's written. I might go and sit and, and, and write up here. I can use a thousand bucks. I'm assuming I would win first. Uh, so anyway, Great Generation, October 3rd. It's a Saturday, 11 a.m. here at the station. We're meeting. Um, we uh, need help to put this, pull this show off. It's going to be very uh, high energy. We're going to have music. We're going to have special guests. We're hoping to bring in Christian guests from all over the nation uh, who are uh, influential on teens. We're going to talk about every topic under the sun. And what we're going to do is explain what the world is offering in terms of solutions and what the Bible and what Jesus and what Christians believe. And we're going to really go after this modern culture and their predatory nature upon our kids and hit them with a sledgehammer uh, with the bull that they're feeding them. So every topic you can imagine, if you're interested in helping us, especially if you're a student, young adult, college student, interested in film, television, uh, come down and join us Saturday, October 3rd here at the station. Go to www.hotm.tv and help us out. Have a question. What do you think about David C. Pack? We have uh, 30 seconds. I don't know who David C. Pack is. Does anyone know? We have a full audience shaking their head no. Uh, that, and that, no, it's not Packer. Don't know who David C. Pack is, so we can't answer it. We appreciate you guys. We love you. We thank you for your prayers and being with us. God bless you until we meet next week here on Heart of the Matter. Yeah.